This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I think his name is Alex. It's been so long since I've seen him. Uh, All he needs to know is your first name and where you're calling from. That's all he needs to know. So if he asks anything else, you can tell him that I don't have to tell you? Right, exactly. Okay. All right, because he he wants to know a lot of things about the callers. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, right. A lot of yeah, yeah. a lot. Uh, and Mr. Kelly, before you slip away, yes. I see you have a Billiken shirt on. Is I do. They won yesterday. They won yesterday. Uh, the girls won on Wednesday. Whoa. We had ninety eight hundred screaming kids there. They do an education day every year. It's an eleven o'clock in the morning game. Wow! And they bring the they bust the kids from all over the region. There were ninety eight hundred of them. And have you ever sat in front of 9,800 kids screaming for three hours? <laughs> I probably have, but I can't remember. Yeah, you can't hear it anymore. <laughs> right. My ears are still ringing. But it was a great game. And so then last night, the Billikens won big. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to sport the Billiken today. Perfect. He was in the station yesterday, walked in, and the first thing I saw was the Billiken. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. He would have said to say hi to you, but he doesn't talk. Oh, so. He doesn't talk. Yeah. Wow. He thought that, but he didn't say it. Well, thanks for the update. (laughs) Yes, folks, Saturday morning we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. If you're thinking about putting a specialty garden space in, a taste of the tropics, how are your houseplants doing, and uh, maybe you need to improve some soil, maybe you need to get a soil test done before you do anything, like new planting or anything. How about, is this the time to do pruning? Do we need to be worried about bugs and diseases right now? And use the information to make good decisions. My thoughts will help orchestrate, hopefully, and solidify your options. Of course, with the final judgment being on your part. And remember, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. And another very important player is Alex. He's doing the producing today. So, again, just your first name and where you're calling from, that's all he needs. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And during the week or weekends sometimes, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. Today after the show, I'm headed towards Festus. What you can do is just go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. So 
Let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Yes, today is the day when Soulard becomes an island. Massive numbers of people head towards this island party. Though not officially, you know, for St. Louis, yes, this is Fat Saturday versus Fat Tuesday, which is Mardi Gras. Concrete barricades are already up, blocking major access streets. Roadside say close. I saw some people were, I was probably down there a little bit after, probably 6.15 or so. People were out there pushing the road signs, you know, into the streets saying, road closed, don't bother. This is an island. You can't come in here. And uh, then all the streets where the parade route is lined with the railings. I don't know where they store all these railings, but there's, Thousands and thousands and thousands. Of course, they use them for all kinds of parades down, you know, downtown and everything else. And there was all kinds of other stuff going along. And uh, I saw people putting up decorations. And, of course, in the purple, gold, and green colors, there were Johnny on the spots everywhere. The vendor tents were being set up. There were carts moving golf carts here, there, and everywhere. And also, I thought, whoa, you know those rentable scooters? There was quite a few of them sitting on street corners. <laughs> Knowing how wild and crazy Mardi Gras gets, I can't imagine somebody getting on one of those carts, you know, those scooters, and riding. You know, whether they're totally sober or not, just the number of people is just absolutely incredible. And this island is really on the north side is Shoto. South side is probably a little bit past Sydney. The west side is 12th Street, and the east side is basically the Mississippi River. So if you decide to come to Mardi Gras, please realize that this is a neighborhood where people live. I lived in Soulard for about 10 years. When I first moved there, the Soulard Parade, the Mardi Gras Parade, just wound through the neighborhood. Then all of a sudden it decided to explode it and put it down on Broadway and just change the whole demeanor of everything. And it was sometimes it just got totally crazy. When the parade ended, people were so, let's say, discombobulated that they didn't they couldn't remember where they had parked they couldn't figure out how to get across on the other side of 55 so we would really tracy and i would get out there and just you know ask people if they needed some help you know not just with you know directions on how to get to where their car is or anything else but it's really disoriented now they've really kind of changed stuff pretty much at that time also uh, if you wanted, if you lived in the neighborhood, you had to show your ID to a policeman at the gates, so he would let you in. If you didn't have that ID with you, it was you were out of luck. And back then too, I was doing the garden hotline, so it got to the point where it, it was just that much easier for me just to walk from Soulard down to the station than it was to try to drive because I was the driving was just totally insane. But anyway, today is Fat Tuesday in celebration of Fat, no, Fat, today is Fat Saturday in celebration of Fat Tuesday. Now, I don't know if they have another parade on Tuesday or not. They used to have a sort of a real parade, a shorter version of it, not the totally wild and crazy one. But anyway, that's a good gardening stroll today. If you have questions or concerns about your yard, your landscape, or anything else, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments. We're almost at springtime. Let's see. This is, it's today the 22nd? I think it is. So this is uh, two-thirds of the way through winter. So next month on the 22nd, we'll be at the first day of spring. I can't wait. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head to Madonna. And Madonna lives in Oakville. Hi, Madonna. Good morning, sir. I have two questions. First off, I have a Christmas cactus that bloomed in Thanksgiving. It bloomed at Christmas, and it's got big fat buds on it again. Now, the brackets, there's a purple vein goes down the whole bracket. Mm -hmm. Is this unusual? And then I have a question about my boxwoods. No, that's not necessarily unusual. So, I mean, you're lucky. Three times. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I got my bucks worth, huh? You aren't kidding. (laughs) Anyway. Did I hear you say before, if you have a problem with your boxwood, the boxwood leaves are turning, some of them are turning yellow, and um, they just don't look very healthy. Did you tell us to put iron sulfate on in the ground under them? Yes, if that's the case. And, I mean, sometimes it's weather-related, so it won't necessarily change the, you know, the color of the ones that are already discolored entirely. But if they just kind of are off color, then yes. Any kind of broadleaf evergreen needs an acidic soil. So if these are planted close to, a, let's say, a concrete driveway, a sidewalk, the foundation of a house, generally the, probably the soil pH is going to be too alkaline. And slowly over time, there's going to be a situation where there's not enough iron and you have to have the sulfur there so the plant can actually you know, recognize the iron and uptake that. When would I put that down? Uh, you can do it pretty much any time. It's not a fertilizer or anything, so just make sure you pull the mulch back if you have mulch around them, and then put the um, iron sulfate down or ferrous sulfate or whatever, and then you can put the mulch back over the top of it and probably water it in a little bit. Okay, thank you. You have a wonderful day. You do the very same thing. Yeah, any of the broadleaf evergreens. So, I mean, the boxwood have, you know, even though we've only had a few really kind of, let's say, tough, cold days, they're still going to have some yellowish leaves, you know, and in, in particular, all, a lot of the broadleaf evergreens or evergreens conifer-wise, the interior is going to be a little bit tough as far as there, it doesn't get as much light, so then the plant's going to compartmentalize them and, and shut them off, and then they're just going to discolor and drop. So let's go now and head to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, Mike. How you doing this morning? Very good. Hey, um, I have a question for you. So I got a, a slight slope on my a few of my beds, my garden beds. And when I put the mulch down every year, I lose my mulch or a good portion of it, especially in the newer beds. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions other than putting like a, a brick or something to prevent it from flowing down, to give it more of a natural look, if you have any suggestions for me. Uh, what type of mulch are you using? Uh, black gold. Okay. So, well, you know, it's just, it sounds like it's more than a slight, you know, slight slope because, I mean, it's going to be as a result of the rainwater and all those other type things. So there's really not too much you can do that's going to, you know, stabilize the mulch as far as staying in place along any kind of slope. So, 
I mean, you're kind of, that's what, it, you know, that's what happens. Would a heavier mulch besides the black gold be better for it, or would it pretty much still result in the same thing? Well, it just depends. You know, certain years we're going to have more rain than others. And uh-huh. so, I mean, that's kind of what, it's all related to the amount of rain and where it's hitting and everything else. So, okay. Now, when you're talking about black gold, you're talking about compost, right? Right. So, I mean, why don't you use a real mulch? Okay, I can try that. I just the black compost. I was just because they were the newer beds. I was trying to get uh, the black gold in there just to, to to make the soil a little bit better. It will help with a top dressing in that circumstance. But compost is really something to be blended in the soil. Or a top dressing over, you know, an area, uh, a lawn area that's been corrugated or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I would. There's all kinds of different true mulches and their ability to kind of weave in with each other and stuff. And the you know particle size is much much different. So its tendency to wash is going to be much less. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll try that this year. I really appreciate it. Great. Good luck with that. Have a great day. Thank you. You do the very same thing. And uh, let's see, where do we need to go? Let's go to O'Fallon and into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I have a couple, and I'll try to make them quick here. The first is flower seeds. Uh, The best vendor that you can think of for particular, in other words, if I wanted a certain color of zinnia, and that's all I wanted, as opposed to buying just a regular pack and you get what you get, and other type of seeds that would be particular, where would I go to have a, a good variety to pick from? I would say, you know, there's not going to be any, you know, if you're looking for very specific type things, it's going to be tough. There's not any kind of local source for seeds like this. You know, if it was wildflower seeds, it would be a little different. But on the things that you're you're speaking of, I would just, you know, take, a to me, the best seed company you know, from my perspective, is Burpee. And I would just go to some of the, you know, year-round garden centers that they'll probably have a larger seed rack selection and do that. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, potatoes. Uh, we're coming up to it here. And um, I have tried to incorporate different potatoes as an experiment. My my go-tos are pretty much Pontiac, Cobbler, and Yukon. Um, I started also uh, a year or so ago trying to work in some Norlands. I have heard that there is another strain, another uh, seed potato that has come out that has had good success. And forgive me, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, would you be familiar with that? Uh, no, I sure, I'm sure not. Uh, you know, I mean, seed potatoes, I've, you know, I mean, like you obviously you're going to a garden center that you know carries seed potatoes or else you wouldn't be able unless you're getting them online which i wouldn't think that would be the case but uh, i would say go online and just look to find out what the specific one that you're looking for and then find out if what your local source is going to have it i would say you live in o'fallon so maybe try uh for sale nursery out in defiance all right and see you know See if they might have them because I mean there there are several lots of other year round nurseries and everything else, but maybe give them a shot and see what you see if they can give you some help. Okay, just last quick, and that is, what is your thinking about the old farmers almanac planting guide? I uh, just that that gets philosophical at some point, I think. But what is your opinion of it? I think I mean it's. 
it never hurts to get information and but with our crazy weather and everything else that can have a huge impact but soil preparation you know aftercare and everything else that that's all as crucial as anything you know it's not just let's say the initial step or the first two or three steps it's all the way through the growing season so i think it's good but uh you know it's to me, it's you almost have to write your own farmer's almanac for your own landscaping because exposure, soil types, and everything else, yours is going to be uniquely different than most other anybody else's. And that's why certain things that somebody might have success with, you may not. And it may be related to something related to your soil density or your soil you know, nutrient level or whatever it happens to be. Well, my, my particular question was barren days. Uh, above ground crop days and um, uh, vining crops, et cetera. In other words, when it, when it makes a particular claim on this day, it, this will do poorly or this will do well. Ah, no, I don't. I don't put much credence in that because, again, you know, think of let's say March first or let's say February twenty second. Some years we could be having an ice storm right now, and today we're going to get in the lower fifties with full sun. It's just those kind of things, and I'm, you know, making ex- sort of an exaggeration of wintertime, but the summer could be the same thing. It could be super hot, super humid. It could be this. It could be, it could have rained the week before, and the ground would be so wet that you shouldn't be fooling around in the ground at all. So, no, I don't put much credence in that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I do appreciate your time. Thanks. Well, great. Well, thanks for calling. And now let's head to Mike, and he lives in Winsville. Hi, Mike. Uh, hello, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've got an earthworm. I was wondering if there's anything I could do for earthworm control. Uh, the molds have gotten out of control, uh, and it seems like the last uh, good rain we had, I had must have had uh, thousands and thousands of uh, little baby earthworms that had come up out of the ground because the moisture is it's high contact in the ground. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, is there a fertilizer? It's better to help um, to control the earthworms. I mean, I know they that's their big meal that the moles have. And I do trap. I've got every type of trap. And they're some successful. But, uh, you know, as the ground kind of thaws out, they're already working. And I'm just trying to get ahead of them before uh, spring gets here and it's, uh, it gets really bad. Well, to be honest with you, earthworms are very beneficial to your soil. So you must okay. have some pretty good garden space where these earthworms are. Or your lawn okay. or whatever. So just let your garden and your lawn and your landscape and everything else go to heck. Then the earthworms will you know, be gone. So they're only oh, in I... areas. They're only in areas where the soil is not in good shape. Or they're not in areas where the soil is in not. You know, I mean, they're in areas where the soil is good, high organic content. So if you've got oh, okay. a poor soil, heavy duty clay, you're not going to have any earthworms. Consequently, you're not going to have any moles. But, I mean, it's kind of, the earthworms are a good indication you've got a pretty good landscape. I see. Well, that's good and bad. Good and bad. <laughs> uh, so just a regular lawn fertilizer or whatever, that's about all I can do, like I normally do. I guess it's just uh, uh, that, that and the trapping, I guess, for the moles. Right. That's pretty much it. Okay. All righty. Well, you have a good weekend. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My, you know, my pleasure. But no, I mean, you're lucky that you've got these earthworms. A lot of people don't, their yard is horrible and they're not going to have any earthworms. And so, 
I mean, it's just they aerate the soil. They do a lot of very good constructive type things as far as soil structure and everything else. So let's see if we can get to Tom. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hi. Uh, reason I'm calling is, uh, Mike, I was just wondering, is it, uh, I usually fertilize my yard in the fall with 12-12-12, you know, it's an all-purpose fertilizer, and I ran out of time, so I was thinking about doing it tomorrow before that rain comes, and maybe that'll get her down in the, you know, in the roots. So would it be fine to fertilize this? Yeah, you should, you know? I mean, that's fine. But triple 12 is really not a good fertilizer. It's a fertilizer that was developed for agricultural crops. So in other words, it's a one-year one type thing. So yeah. what you need to do is if you're having any kind of, let's say, difficulty with your lawn just in general, you should have a soil test done and find out because the triple 12, the phosphorus and potassium are the last two numbers, and when those two numbers, they don't, let's say, exit the soil for long periods of time. You could be having extravagant levels of that, and it could have a detrimental effect on the plant material that you're putting the triple 12 on. I see. That's why, hmm. you know, farmers rotate crops and things like that is because if they're using something like triple 12, those, they have to let the field sit and try, you know, slowly but surely the phosphorus and potassium would break down. But I would say use a fertilizer or get a fertilizer specifically for a lawn. Get a soil test done and find out because you may just need something like a ten zero zero or fifteen five five or you know where the last two numbers are really low. The first one is nitrogen and it dissipates and goes up into the air a few days after you put the fertilizer down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alrighty, so you're saying maybe a fifteen five five or ten zero zero. Yeah, do something. Do something a little bit different than the triple twelve. righty. Yeah, because using my grass, one reason I've been putting it down for the last twenty years is because I tell you, in the summer or spring, my grass, that blue grass, it just comes in so thick, and you know, my, I always tell my wife, hey, hit me with something if I put that down, because I'm out there cutting grass about every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds. I mean, obviously, you don't have a you know a high level of the phosphorus and potassium because that becomes detrimental to a lot of the plant material. Lawn being one, so that's why soil tests could indicate. Soil tests could say you got extravagant levels of this, that, or you don't have any of this or that because you know the true, let's say, lawn fertilizers will have micronutrients as well, which is to benefit your lawn. But if your lawn is great and everything else, just stick with what you've been doing. Okay. I was just wondering, I guess it'd be all right to throw it down tomorrow before the rain comes. Yeah, it shouldn't be a problem with that at all. Because I didn't know if it would just sit there and might burn up the, you know, the grass. No. It, I mean, basically, if it's going to rain or watering it in, if it wasn't going right. to rain, that would be what you'd have to do. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Are you looking out your window thinking, hmm, wonder what's going on over there, what's happening here, that in your landscape? Well, why not give a call? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, quick question for you. I've got, uh, I believe, a cypress, two cypress trees in my backyard and um, they're about 10, 12 years old, I, I think. And 
they, the roots are coming up into like a nodule or a node that comes up maybe two or three inches uh, from the top of the soil, and I'm hitting those with my mower. Can I just take a chainsaw and trim some of those off? Or will it hurt the tree? Well, it's not exactly good for the tree. I mean, that's just the natural habit. You know, bald cypress trees are trees that grow in a swampy area. So, in other words, those nodes that they're pushing up like that, that's just a genetic type thing that they do. And that's so they can get oxygen into the root system because most of, you know, in their native habitat, the root system's all below water. So, yes, you could do it, but, uh, and they're pretty tough. They're probably going to be able to with handle or handle it. But that's probably you know, one of the things that people should really look at when they select a particular type tree for the landscape. Yes, with our clay soils and everything else, a lot of trees were, are going to have surface roots. But I mean, the bald cypress have like the big nodes. I mean, sometimes you can see them, you know, in parks, you know, at Tower Grove Park or at the Botanical Garden where they go up, you know, 12, 18 inches sometimes. It's really kind of amazing. Yeah, okay. Well, I just have two or three of them. And uh, like I said, the tree's 10 or 12 years old. It's planted next to my house, so it's my neighbor's. It's in common ground. So ah. um, I don't want to kill it, but I don't <laughs> like running it over with my mower and, and dulling my blade out. Right, you know, exactly. 50 times a season. So, okay. So you should be I fine. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and I was exaggerating a little bit at the Botanical Garden or parks. You're not going to see the nodes that big because the trees are not necessarily growing in a really, really super wet soil like they are in their native habitat. So let's head over to Debbie's yard. Hi, Debbie. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. I was just wondering if you've ever heard of an egret orchid. An egret orchid? Like an egret like a bird? You're right, and it when it comes out, it looks like a dove when it opens. I have called botanical gardens. I've called nursery, and I can't find it anywhere. I can find seeds, but I cannot find an actual plant. Hmm. I would it's say gorgeous. I mean, they're gorgeous, Mike. They really. Are. I would say try the orchid society. Oh, that's a good idea. I mean, if anybody knows about the orchids, I mean, I'm not saying the people of the garden don't, but these people, that's their, I mean, they love them, and they have the orchid shows and everything else. It's too bad that, I mean, the orchid shows, hmm, it may not be over yet, but it probably is over. It's getting close to being over at least. But, yeah, yeah. I'd contact the, you know, the St. Louis, you know, you can go to the orchid. Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org. And just put okay. in, you know, put in Orchid Society, and there'll be contact information. Yeah, it's an egret, E-G-E-R-T. Right, orchid. just like the bird. Oh, it's gorgeous. Wow. It's absolutely gorgeous, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you for the information. Have a good day. Certainly, and good luck with that. And, though, so if you do have any questions, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week, somebody called and... They asked me about, they had acorns and they had holes in their acorns. Now, what happens is there is a weevil, W-E-E-V-I-L. Now, there's a weevil for, this is an acorn weevil that's doing this, but also a couple weeks prior to that, somebody called in about holes in their pecans, and that's a pecan weevil. A weevil is a type of beetle, and it has a big snout, 
And what they do is a female, as let's say the nuts or the acorns are forming, she lays her eggs into the very young, just after the flower got pollinated and and starts to form, she lays her eggs into that. Then what happens is this larvae of the weevil spends its childhood inside the nut, be it a pecan, or inside an acorn, eating away at the hole inside. And then consequently what happens is once the acorn drops, the weevil or the larvae will then tunnel itself out of the acorn or the pecan and then go into the ground and it becomes kind of a, not the classic type grub, but basically a grub because it is, a, a, you know, it's related, it's a beetle type thing. So that's what, you know, the gentleman had called and they, st- you know, so he had, and they're really not all that common, the acorn weevils here in this region. So they're more common in other areas, but uh, so that's when he called and said he had holes in his acorns, that's what it was. And there's, I mean, there's a natural predator, a weevil wasp, which I don't have a clue what that is, but basically there's no effective control. So just that's kind of what it was, was a weevil, W-E-E-V-I-L. And I guess boll weevil, the one that you know, does damage to cotton plants, is probably related to all these weevils. So let's head over to Norma's yard. Norma, how are you today? Hi, I'm great, Mike. I was listening to your conversation about the bald cypress trees. Uh, when my oldest son was in fourth grade, they got trees for Arbor Day, and he brought home an 18-inch long stick. It was like one stick. Well, he and his dad planted it on the corner of our property in Afton. That tree is now taller than a light pole. Right. And it, it is the most beautiful tree in the neighborhood, and I get compliments on it all the time. I love it. It's just gorgeous. But here's my question. Why doesn't my tree have those things that come up out of the ground? Is it because it's getting enough moisture? Right, enough moisture. And also, you know, it's not, you know, why it happens in certain areas, you know, as opposed to other areas, you're just basically lucky because those knees, that's what they're, I mean, they call Yes, yes. So, I mean, that's just kind of a natural habit. So why yours are not, you know, coming up like that? Who knows? It's just yeah, well, every tree, even though they're the same tree, is not going to react to the same circumstance. So why yeah. is, who knows? Well, I feel I feel very blessed then because I really enjoy that tree, and it's it's just beautiful. And if anybody wants to see a beautiful bald cypress, stop by the corner of Laclede Station and General Sherman in Afton. <laughs> yeah, they have great fall color. And, I mean, they're oh, spectacular. The branching habit is spectacular how it's parallel to the trunk. And uh, they're, I mean, they're really striking. I have to And agree. the shape of it, yeah, the shape of it is just gorgeous. Yeah, it's it really like a, is. And when I'm, the electric company comes by and they need to trim uh, by the sign there, mm-hmm. they, they do it in a way that it doesn't uh, affect the look of the tree. Really? And I really appreciate, yes. Wow. I really appreciate when they do that. I think they think it's pretty, too. <laughs> <laughs> you could be right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate your show. Certainly. And thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Vivian. Vivian, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Uh, I went to my local drugstore and one of the tulips that are in a glass of water with the roots submerged but not the bulb. And uh, it was beautiful. And the blossoms are now spent. 
is there anything else I can do with that? Can I plant it? Can I dry it out and save it for the fall or just trash it? I'd probably trash it, to be honest. Uh, tulips, oh. the way they've been hybridized over the years, they have a limited life. Even if you buy them in the fall, plant them in the fall, usually about two years is about all you're going to get out of them anyway, even under okay. ideal growing conditions in the outdoors, perfect soil, well-drained, everything else. So this one, I mean, uh, it wasn't in soil. That doesn't really make all that much difference. If you want to take it and, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's still firm. If it still feels firm, you want to plant it in a pot or something in the hopes that you might see some foliage, that's going to be about all you're going to get out of it at the most. Now, if, Okay. So does it, when it's, you know, when it's sent up the ice, I know probably it was Walgreens where you got those. Yes, but, it was. But... Now, it flowered, but did it have any kind of foliage at all? Oh, yes. Yes, it okay. has uh, leaves. I do notice that the leaves are starting to shrivel a little right. bit, you know, die back. So pretty much it's, it's kind of wasted. Okay. It's consumed all its energy, and it's done. Right, exactly. So it was a one-time show type thing. So it's like a cut flower without being a cut flower. Yeah. It was very pretty, though, and cheerful. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 1-800-925-1120, 314-436-7900. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Just remember, folks, as we get closer and closer to spring, sometimes even before spring officially is here, which is March 22nd, you'll see the yellow forsythia blooming in your landscape or in your neighborhood. That's when you should be getting heading out to your favorite garden center. Probably you should head out to your favorite garden center right now and get the pre-emergent if you've had a history of problems of annual warm season weeds. And what is an annual warm season weed? Well, you know, there's cool season annual weeds and there's warm season annual weeds. The warm season ones, they germinate in the springtime. So those seeds have been laying there for quite a while, since last year. And what are some of those plants? Well, carpet weed, uh, lamb's quarter, knotweed, purslane, ragweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, and foxtail. All those are annual warm season weeds. So if you've had a history of those in your landscape, and you think, well, who cares? They're already, they're gone. Yes, they do die. When it starts getting cool in the fall, they they disappear. But through the whole growing season, they've been putting down seed. They've been dropping seed. And those seeds will just lay there all winter long until the ground temperature starts warming up. And that's what causes the forsythia to go into bloom because the ground temperature has gotten higher. So that's what it's all about. So if you've had a history of annual weed problems Use a pre-emergent. What a pre-emergent does is creates a chemical barrier on the surface of your soil. So read all the directions as far as watering in and everything else. And then when a seed germinates, yes, it will kill that seed. So you can't put it on areas where you're going to, you know, you're planning to put down any kind of lawn seed because it'll kill all kinds of seed. It doesn't care what kind of seed that it is. So just realize that this is the time of year you better start thinking about that if you've had a history of that type of problem. Uh, also start watching out for insects because even though it's a little bit early, with the weather that we've had, we've had a couple cold days the last few days. But also, I mean, we're going to start hopefully, you know, 
I'm hoping that it's going to stay warm, you know, like today. This morning was kind of cool, but it wasn't too bad. But so just realize that the insects are going to start coming out. So just you still got an opportunity to have a dormant oil sprayed if you can't spray it yourself. Or you can get a dormant oil and spray it. And what it does is just suffocate the insects. If you see on the ends of your branches of your deciduous trees, like wads of leaves that have been there for since last year, and it's like all this webbing around all the leaves, well, what is that? Well, what that is is where fall webworms were living. That's their home. What happens is the female lays the eggs, then the webworm, when they basically hatch, they make this webbing all around the ends of the branches, incorporating leaves and other things. What this webbing is for is for protection. So in other words, it keeps birds and other things from getting them because they're just, they don't do a huge amount of damage. So it's not something that you need to necessarily go after. But aesthetically, there's, there's a couple of trees in my neighborhood that have a lot of these web, you know, fall webworm wads still on their on the trees now that actually the webworms have already dropped to the ground so they're going they spent the winter time in a pupated stage or in a, let's say a dormant type stage so they're not going to be any kind of problems whatsoever in the ground but then when they emerge as an adult then the, if females and males are going to mate and then they're going to start all over again so when I I said and we have three of the sugar maples around our house. One of the sugar maples had about three or four of these wads. I just got tired of looking at them in midwinter, so I took a pole pruner out and cut them off. And you don't necessarily have to do that by any means, but it's probably you know just realize that this is what it is. It's not a ten caterpillar. It's a fall webworm, and these wads are really ugly. There's no getting around it. So that's one of the things that, you know, you can be certainly concerned with is just, uh, you know, the insects because they're going to start emerging really, really soon. Uh, if you do have some ornamental grasses, why not get them cut back down? Because if you don't, they're probably already shattered and laying across all your landscape and your yard and everything else. But uh, just realize that uh, cutting those blades down because those blades are not going to green back up and a lot of the majority of the ornamental grasses are clump growers. So what they do is they put out new growth on the perimeter, not back towards the center. So you may end up with just the center of the plant being with nothing. And so the new growth is going to come out on the, you know, on the edges. And if you decide, uh, you know, I don't really like that, you still have the opportunity or as soon as the new growth starts, you know, starts coming up, just dig up the entire clump. If you've got a center that doesn't have any kind of new growth coming at all, just chop that out and then put all the you know, perimeter edges where the new growth is you know, back into the hole where you put them. Ornamental grasses are really tough. They're durable. I mean, they're a great plant, but uh, just realize that sometimes they can become problematic from just an aesthetic standpoint. Some of them are invas- invasive. Not all of them. The majority are not. But the clump growers is just what I talked about. The clump meaning they're just going to move out from that. This is a good time of year to take a look at all your tools. And if you remember using any of your tools on any plants that had diseases or bacteria or things like that, clean them with a combination of bleach and water. Pruners, anything at all. 
and just wa- you know wash the blades and because you're going to save yourself some grief. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving it shortly. Mr. Kelly, before you take off? Yes. You going down to Mardi Gras? No. Oh, do you ever? I did. Oh, geez, it's been a long time, like Many years ago, ah. put it that way, and it was fun. You know, it was fun. I just—it's a little too much for me. <laughs> yeah, you must be yeah. getting old. Man. I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> now you walked along the the parade route this morning, right? No, no, I. Oh, I thought. You I did. mean, I was down there, yeah. So yeah. I walked down part of it, but you can't okay. even get in there. I mean, you have to park a long way away to yeah. even. So there was nothing there, basically. Yeah. I mean, there was a few people, you know. Like I said, moving signs and doing this and doing that. But uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, there were some vendors starting to set up. But, yeah. Well, it's starting to get, I'm, I'm sure now, that 9 o'clock is when everybody's down there and right. getting started. So, yeah. The, yeah, the, I was the down there before beginning. the sun came up. So Well, yeah. that'll. That, <laughs> nobody was there then. I'm <laughs> no. sure that it's going to start partying yet. Right. Just so. the police and the fire department and things like that. Yeah. No, it's going to be crazy. Absolutely. So be safe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not headed there. <laughs> After living there and experiencing it enough, I've had, like you said, enough. I'm sure. And I've been to the New Orleans one. Have you? Yeah. I was in the Air Force at Barksdale Air Force Base in Shreveport. Yeah. And so a friend of mine said, well, why don't we go to the Mardi Gras? So for two years we went down. Yeah. It's a little different than here. Is it? Yeah. A little crazier? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's virtually... A, Every day for a couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. I mean, we were down there. We drove through on the way to a cruise ship during Mardi Gras period. Mm. And, yeah, there was a parade going on, and we passed a bunch where they were staging the floats and stuff. So, right. yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> right. For sure. It's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, still wild. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Kelly. And right now you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, or things that you've noticed. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can we can discuss things like ups and downs and all arounds. Probably at garden centers, you're going to start to see pansies. I was going to get a couple flats of pansies today, but after yesterday and the day before, where the low temperatures were so cool, the garden centers will have them, but probably they would push them inside, you know, if the temperatures are going to drop that cold. So I might wait for a week or so before I get my pansies. Even though they're a cool season annual, they're great. They're one of the, you know, one of my favorites because it's like some color early in the season. So I'll decide, you know, I've, as I said before, I've got a, a walk and talk in Festus on my way back. I might go ahead and just get a flat of uh, pansies. The, the plants are a little bit small this time of year. The flowers are okay and everything else, but uh, their durability I'm just a little bit concerned with. How about your bulbs, your daffodils and your tulips and all that other stuff? They should be starting to show some growth. Edibles? Yes. Your cool season Perennial type edibles like asparagus or rhubarbs or things along that line. Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials. Perennials are starting to show a little bit of growth on a couple different things. Your roses, not any growth that I've seen on any roses as I've been walking around or the couple that I have. Trees, vines, water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take. 
but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is behind the big board. He's producing. He'll be answering the phone, so he needs just your first name and where you're calling from. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, walk and talk. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and that's my f- on the home page, my email address and phone number where you can contact me. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Next week, next Saturday, is the 14th annual Polar Plunge. And that'll, like I said, be Saturday the 29th. Brave men and women from around the area will don costumes and swimwear and take a polar dip into Crevecor Lake. The reason for freezing the athletes of the, what it does is benefits Special Olympics in Missouri. All proceeds from this year's events will benefit training and competitions. Healthy screening, health screening, and everything else. And ongoing education for 7,500 Special Olympics Missouri athletes. So here in the metropolitan area. So the Polar Plunge is open to anyone 10 years or older. And uh, <laughs> you can have a good time for a very good cause. The event is hosted by Maryland Heights PD and Hazelwood PD. And will take place, as I said before, Creepcore Lake, which is on Marine Boulevard in Maryland Heights. And the day of registration you know, begins at noon, and actually the plunge starts at 1 o'clock. So, again, the 14th annual Polar Plunge at Creepcore Lake next Saturday. So what could be more fun than that? So if you have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Mike, how are you? Hey, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Good. Hey, Mike, I have a 10 by 20 area in my backyard that used to be my vegetable garden, and now I grow flowers. And I have some, you know, all different types of bulbs and some wild flowers for the bees back there. Mm -hmm. But... I'm trying to figure out how to keep the weeds under control. So what should I, is there something I could put down that won't harm the the seeds from the wildflowers from last year and the bulbs? Well, are your the, wildflowers coming back from, by seed or are they coming back from root systems? Oh, you know, I don't know. They just come back every year. So, uh, um and then I'll plant some new ones every year. Yeah. So, I mean, the pre-emergence will definitely, if it's, you know, if you have like cone flowers and things like that, you know, the perennials, well, that doesn't have any impact on any kind of perennial plants. But if, let's okay. say, you had some cone flowers and they did drop some seed, it would impact the, you know, let's say the germination of the, of the seed. So if you, you know, the pre-emergent may be the, the thing to do. Or what you're going to have to do is just selectively, because you don't want to take a chance on, let's say, killing some of the seedlings from the perennials or wildflowers or whatever, then you're just going to have to either selectively hand dig or you're going to have to go around with, let's say, a a type of herbicide and just spray it directly onto the weedy plants that you're trying to kill off. Okay. Yeah. I You know, uh, at the beginning of the year, I'm back there all the time, but then... Later in the summer, when it gets hot, I 
tend to let them go, and then they get out of control. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So obviously much easier to get rid of when they're smaller. But, uh, you know, and the problem is, you know, some of the weeds, they can be grassy weeds. So like a broadleaf weed killer won't impact the, you know, the grassy weeds. Or you could use a grass killer, but that won't impact the broadleaf weeds. So that's you got to kind of know what what you're going after, and if it's a perennial right. weed, if it's an annual weed, if it's coming back from seed, what you know what the scenario is. Yeah. So the the pre-emergence they won't hurt like the tulip bulbs and no, the, not at and all. The bearded, bearded. Okay, that was that was my question. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Have a great day. Certainly. Yeah, the the pre-emergent only kills. It's a very very thin chemical barrier on the surface of the ground, and when the seed germinates, it kills that seed. But things like tulips can push through, iris can push through, you know, daylilies can push through. Any of the perennial type stuff can push through with no problems whatsoever. Mike Miller, K M Y S Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you're thinking about planting any kind of woody plant materials, trees, shrubs, those type things, just remember that only dig the hole about 80% as deep as the root ball of, you know, the pot, whatever, you or burlap or whatever. So, in other words, you want about 20% of the root ball above the surrounding ground. And that's in case there's any settling at all that uh, doesn't settle with a, you know, a low spot around the plant, around the, let's say, stems, branches, trunks, or whatever you want to call it, because certain plants can't handle that. The moisture will cause some major problems. So dig a hole wide, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% as deep. So that's really, really very, very important that you do that. Let's go now to, where should we start off? Let's go to Jan's. Hi, Jan. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, Mike, I got a question. When I plant my broccoli this year, how do I keep those little worms out of it? <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, it's, there's no preventative type thing, to be honest with you. So you're just going to have to watch it carefully, get in, you know, like an insecticidal soap and just squirt them. That's the okay, best thing. Okay, have you ever heard of that BT stuff? Uh, yeah, Organic. I mean, it's, yeah, it's basically the same thing. Okay, so that's organic and it's okay to use? Right. Okay, how about a floating roll? A what? You know, like a cover, a floating cover. If you, it's, what does it cause from, a moth that lays your eggs? Or? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it all depends. There's a couple different things that get on them. So it okay. could be a moth, it could be a beetle, it could be a stink bug. It can, well, it's not a stink bug, I know. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, it's just, um, I mean... The best thing you can do, I don't know if you do this, maybe you do, and it just it reoccurs anyway. At the end of the season, once you've done the harvest, you know, cut the plants off entirely and get rid of them entirely. And what okay. you might also try is something called diatomaceous earth and sprinkle okay. that around the, the base of the plants and see okay. if that will kind of help too. Okay. Okay. I have some of that. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Real good. Hey, you helped me out. Good luck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're so little. They're so little. I ended up throwing a lot of it away last year. Oh. You nice. know, I said to myself when I was cleaning it, I said, okay, if I find one more worm, it's going. And it went. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like eating worms. <laughs> 
So are you always planting in the same spot? I am. Try moving it into a different location. That sounds good, too. And so if you don't have space, maybe try to grow them in pots and put the pots in a completely different location. Okay. Okay. I can try that, too. Yeah. Okay, Mike. All right. Good luck. Okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Let's head out to Baldwin and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing today? Very good. Hey, Mike, uh, I had a mole in our side yard, and as you stated, it seemed to give birth. So now we have several molehills. So my question is, before I go wasting my time, I was thinking of taking the uh, tiller to the uh, all their hills and their uh, tunnels. I'd be wasting my time on that. Well, you could be. I mean, those those mounds of dirt is basically a secondary tunnel, which is one they use to go back from where they've been eating to go back to the den, to where the you know the mother's been out eating earthworms, and so she wants a quicker access back to the den where the babies are. Because I mean, they were just born, you know, or they're born this month, so they're not out digging and tunneling anything at all yet. You've got to wait for a couple months before they get big enough to and mature enough to be able to do that. I mean, you could try rototilling it, but uh, more than likely, it's not going to make all that much difference. Okay, so I, I read about castor oil and water and castor oil. Yeah, you could try. I mean, there's all kinds of different things and ways, uh, and sometimes they've been tobacco. effective, and sometimes they haven't. Uh, it's just it's a roll of the dice. I heard tobacco, too, they don't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I bought some pipe tobacco. Really? Wow. But, yeah. So you need to put that in uh, the runner tunnels. So. Yes, the ones that have popped. You know, watch, yeah. level them all out. Whichever ones pop up mean they're most active in that particular tunnel. Yeah. And then you put in whatever you're going to put into yeah. that tunnel. All right, I'd appreciate it. I, I like running over those big mountain hills with my car. It's right by the driveway. <laughs> so that compacts the soil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it drives them crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Enjoy your day. Sure, you too. Uh, let's go now back to O'Fallon and into George's yard. Hi, George. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I've got two trees with issues. I've got a, a hawthorn tree in the front, crabapple tree in the back, and they're both experiencing early leaf drop. You know, the leaves get spotted and then right. they turn brown and fall off. What is the possible cause and what is the possible solution? It's a fungus probably. There's several different funguses and they, you know, impact all the apple family. So both those plants are in the apple family. What you need to do is go to your favorite garden center and get an herbicide, uh, fungicide. Fungicide? Right. Because this is a fungus growth. And then do that as soon as, you know, start applying the fungicide. As soon as the buds, you know, the leaf buds start pushing out and you can obviously see them. And then you're probably going to have to do multiple applications until the leaves are fully, let's say, emerged entirely, full size. So How many maybe, do you think, roughly? Two part, or three? Yeah, probably so. Probably three. And, you know, again, it just depends upon the weather's going to determine how fast the leaves are going to be coming out. How far apart do you think? Uh, probably two weeks. Two weeks apart? Yeah. Okay. All right. And I got one more question. We've got a Japanese maple in our front yard that I'd like to prune some of the limbs before the growth comes out. Am I safe in doing that now? Well, the maples in general like to be pruned in the summertime. So, so if you want to go ahead and do it, you can. But ideally, maples, birches, and beech trees prefer summer pruning. Yeah, I kind of like to get in there where I can see now and, uh, you know, get right. some of the limbs that are kind of growing wild off. 
Right. So, yeah, definitely go in, you know, go ahead and do it. And uh, I don't know what kind of maple this, you know, Japanese maple it is. Is it like the big tree type or is it the one that's kind of the upside down umbrella? It's a tree type. Okay. So, yeah, you can certainly do it, but just make sure if you got larger branches, you're cutting them off in sections with the final cut, just leaving basically no stub, about a quarter inch or so is the, the biggest stub you want to leave. Yeah. It's just kind of a basic pruning. It's not anything major. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Good luck. And now let's go over to Doris's yard. Hi, Doris. Hi, Mike. This is, uh, I'm calling from Arnold, and uh, I have a uh, Christmas cactus, and I heard the lady earlier talking about how hers has bloomed three times. Right. And mine uh, bloomed when I got it. It was absolutely gorgeous. And several times since then, it has gotten buds, but it does not bloom. And I was wondering if there's fertilizer or something that I can put on it that would help it. Certainly. And, you know, usually if the buds form and they drop, then it could be a nutrient, you know, a nutrient deficiency. And so get a a fertilizer for cactus. Oh, okay. All right. uh, Uh, Powder kind or something you spray on it? It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, spraying, you want to get it onto the soil. So you don't want to, I mean... If you want to mix, okay. if you get a powder that you mix into water and pour it onto the soil, but a spray type thing, I wouldn't bother with that. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you for your help. Yep, Have a great luck. day. Yeah. And also, if you know, if it continues to happen, also, again, I like to mention that, you know, there is a cactus society here. So you might contact the local cactus society and see if they have some sort of little trick. Christmas oh. cactus, we, you know, there's a lot of them, but the majority of them people don't have much luck with after the initial bloom cycle, which is basically because everything was perfect in the greenhouse where they were being grown. Oh, okay. So this is really not unusual. No, right? it's not. And so, okay. I mean, f- maximum amount of sunlight is what they really want. Some people will push them back from the windows and stuff. But no, you should even if the if, even if it's cold air, you know, not air, but you know, cold radiating right. through the glass. Leave it alone. Right. It does, you know, it's fine. Yeah, it's been it's been by the patio door. So oh, great, it, but uh, doesn't seem to help it blooming. So <laughs> I, I will certainly try that right. and see what happens. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, my pleasure. And also with anybody. You know, don't think that putting a plant in a bigger pot is going to make it bloom or be do better. For the majority of the house plants, tropicals, all that kind of stuff, they want to be pot bound. They want to have a really tight root system. So don't put them in a bigger pot. And if you do, the pot that you move it up to should only be one inch larger than the current pot. So just kind of that transplanting stuff uh, really doesn't help the plant material whatsoever. Let's go to Brad's yard. Hi, Brad. Hi, uh, good morning. Hey, I have a Sega palm. I've had a couple of years. I keep it out on the patio, and, and then I bring it in in the fall into a, a sunny garden heated area. And it, it's it's really nice, but all of a sudden now it's all of the leaves are starting to yellow. I don't know what. It's too much water now, enough water. You know what happens when that occurs? Yeah, that sounds like too much water. So especially if all of them are turning yellow, this thing is headed for death. There's nothing. There's no Uh-oh. way to turn it around. 
Okay. I mean, now go get another Gagapama. Right, exactly. I mean, they're great. I mean, they're really tropical looking and everything else. If you had it for a couple of years, why this particular year, you know, the water, you probably kept the same routine and everything else. I'm not sure why it happened, but when they yellow like that, that generally means too much water. Do they need, I mean, are they typically want to be on the drier side? Yes. Or, or dry up? Of, oh, good. Well, that's probably what it is. So, in other words, okay, well, I, wait until the you know the potting mix starts to shrink from the inside of the pot, so you see a gap between the pot and the potting mix. Then water it at that time, and then don't water it again until that happens. Oh well, that's a big difference. Okay, is it the same thing with these uh, uh, what they call them fan palm Chinese fan palm leaf? Yes, any of the any of the palm family want to be more on, even though they're from tropical areas. You think, well, it rains all the time there. Yes, it rains all the time there, but the soil is very well drained, and there's no puddling or pooling or anything else. So that's the the major difference. Okay, well, thank you very much. I suspected that I'll have to go get another one. <laughs> Pre- appreciate appreciate your help. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, a gentleman was asking about a sago palm and overwatering and things like that. Well, what happens with overwatering is the gas exchange between the soil and the air is greatly reduced. So, in other words, the water's taking all the space where air should be getting down into the root systems. Also, microorganisms will consume much of the oxygen in the water and soil as well. So those are two different things. And the lack of you know, soil oxygen causes several different types of adverse effects on the vegetation. And it really, really, really messes things up. So overwatering is by far the worst thing you can do. And a lot of times people will water and then their plant will wilt or they, you know, it's wilting looking. But what that means is maybe they've watered too much. So consequently, they water again because they think wilting always needs more water. And that's exactly what you should not be doing. So just be caught, you know, be conscious and careful about how much watering you do, especially with our crazy winters. And, you know, the days are so short and everything else. You put them outside and it's, it's a very different environment. So the days are much longer, and all kinds of other things are happening as well. Let's head over to Eddie's yard. Eddie, how are you? Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm having a problem with crickets in my yard in the summer. What are your recommendations? I, you know, probably with crickets, I would say, you know, I would get a professional, you know, service come out and t- you know have them do an application of insecticide. Either that, if you've had a major problem for a couple of years and it's making, you know, it's obviously driving you crazy, then uh, I would say use a professional service. Do they do any damage? Uh, not, I mean, they do some, but not a whole lot. Okay. They're more aggravating than anything. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Certainly. Bye now. And how about, uh, let's head over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. How you doing, Mike? Hi. Uh, my question, Mike, is uh, I planted some uh, Concord uh, grapes, those purple ones, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I noticed last year I had some grapes on there, but they never matured. Uh, can I ex- expect uh, mature grapes on them uh, vines this year? Even if you get grapes to set, 
get rid of them for the you know for the first three years or so on a grapevine. You shouldn't let it go. You know, make any fruit at all because it just stresses the plant out entirely. So you, mm-hmm. I know it's a waiting process and it's a little bit aggravating, but uh, as soon as you start to see the fruits, you know, setting, just cut them off and let the plant just be ha- you know, happy and healthy. Then after the third year, you should be able to start letting some fruit set. Oh, okay. I, I was just wondering when I was going to get me some grapes on it. <laughs> <laughs> and in between yeah. then and, you know, now basically just go buy some Concord grape jelly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way to, uh, like, fertilize them and uh, water them? I was, let's uh Probably watering-wise, I don't think they need really any additional water, you know, other than what our rainwater is, unless we have, when they're young, they do, you know, while the root systems are getting established. But hopefully the soil is well-drained and high organic content. And uh, fertilizing, I wouldn't, you don't necessarily have to do any fertilizing on them if you've got a high organic content that they're planted in. Okay. And I I know um, years ago, um uh, an older gentleman that's lived in my area forever um, uh, told me that um, uh, uh, there was grapes in my yard um, and um, on the fence, which I can see now because I think they're um, what they call the um, natural grapes or oh, whatever. Wild or grapes. Wild grapes right. were there. Yeah, the vines are still there. I can't really get rid of them, but. Uh, uh, would they have any impact on the Concord grapes? No, not really. No. So, yeah. I mean, if they were close by, the root systems may impact them. But other than that, uh, you know, again, the area, are you just growing one, one basically vine of the Concord grapes? I, I put like three of them in there. And they're in close proximity. I would probably get a soil test done and find out what the soil is, you know, what there is there. And that way, Mm -hmm. if you decide, I want to do a little bit of fertilizing, you can get the fertilizer specifically for what your soil needs. Okay. And one one other question. Um, Every year I try to grow uh, tomatoes, and I never produce good tomatoes. And I just don't know why I use good soil and everything, but... And, and, you know, they get plenty of sun, and I just don't understand why I don't get good tomatoes. They're always real small. Uh, Could be variety-wise and fertilizing. Get a tomato Mm -hmm. food and fertilize them routinely. And tomatoes like a lot of moisture. A lot of moisture. Right. And for anything like tomatoes or really anything, let's say, cucumbers, zucchinis, all that stuff, if you start to get a couple, you know, let's say fruits or tomatoes on there that are, you know, getting well established, a lot of times that can cause the plant doesn't quite understand what's going on and it can start aborting some of the other things, the other fruits. So fertilizing and water, that's, you know, crucial. But if you start to get a couple tomatoes that get overly sized big, get rid of those ASAP. What do you think about just garden soil? Is that good to grow tomatoes in? Garden mean, soil. Like garden soil, I mean our regular soil with nothing added to it? Uh, yeah, like you buy in the, at Home Depot or anywhere. No, I don't think that's so good. I would mix mm-hmm. organic material into it. Mix organic, okay. Yeah, like right. compost and that kind of stuff. Okay, I'm going to try that this year and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the, I mean, get specifically tomato food because it's going to have calcium. It's going to have some things that are beneficial to tomato plants. 
And you get that tomato uh, food? Can you get that, like, at Home Depot yeah, or Lowe's or anything? Okay. All right, Mike. Uh, I thank you very much. That's very helpful. Hopefully, I'll get some big tomatoes this year. <laughs> <laughs> and you can take a selfie. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Maybe I'll come over and give you a bag of tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So, All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And now let's head over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hello. Um, I have a poplar tree, and it's probably four stories high. It's big. But I look out the window, and every day there's a new branch that has fallen to the ground. It's like shedding itself. Basically, it's, you know, it's just getting old. It's kind of like, you know, just it can't support all that growth, even if there's regular mass root systems and everything else. So this is just something that routinely happens a lot of times with older, mature trees. And especially like a poplar tree, which, you know, is a kind of a soft wooded tree. It is. The branches are really light when they fall. Right. So. Okay, so I shouldn't be concerned that it, it's going to – I mean, it's beautiful when it's full, but it just keeps shit. Yeah, there's nothing that can be done about that. I mean, it's just something that routinely will happen with trees. Okay. Uh, in- I also have some uh, ornamental pear trees, and this uh, last summer they looked like they had a uh, a virus or, or something, and the leaves turned brown early on, but they didn't fall off necessarily. Is that going to happen this year? I could. I mean, if it's just, you know, if it's individual branches, it could be something like fire blight. And if it's fire blight, then that's a deadly type thing. No, it was a whole tree. Okay. And I looked at my neighbor's tree. tree. My neighbor's tree also had it. Okay. Yeah, that's not a good sign if all the leaves are turning, you know, discoloring without giving you the fall color, which normally they do. Right. Mm. Okay. I'll monitor that then. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Belleville and go into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Thank you for your uh, show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I have some porcelia plants that were planted in a cottage garden and they spread. I'm going to transplant them. I assume I would do that after they bloom. And probably before. Yeah. Oh, before? Yeah, I would go ahead. They're still dormant right now, so if you can get if you can, you know, get them dug up and moved, I'd do it now. It may interrupt the flowering this year, but uh, after you wait till they flower and they start pushing out foliage, the foliage might not do, you know, I mean, oh. it's kind of a roll of the dice, but I would probably, you know, get it taken care of while they're still totally dormant. Okay, as soon as the ground thaws, but I'm thinking about making a living fence with them. Oh, sounds great. Yeah. Oh, comment on the on the um, <clears throat> tomato plants. I got the raised garden mix and made a mound, and I plant tomatoes, and they do great. That sounds perfect. Well, thanks for the insight. Every, every spring, I just go get some more and add in it and rot- rototiller in it. And they've and plus, they don't grow any weeds. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, great. Thanks, well, thank Jim. you. Bye now. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I prefer to dig things while they're still dormant as opposed to once they're still actively, start actively, you know, growing. And the flowering is part of active growth. 
And now let's go to Al's yard, and Al lives in Ellisville. Hi, Al. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Uh, question on azaleas. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've got the white fly, and they they turn the bushes turn uh, white in the late summer, early fall. So anyway, I'm looking to put the, some neem oil on them. Mm-hmm. When's the best time to do that? Before or after buds? After flowers? And can I also use that on fire bushes? Because I've seen some, uh, I don't know. Similar, similar leaf discoloration uh, with my fire bushes. Now, if you're getting just leaf discoloration, why do you think you have white fly? Do you uh, actually see the I white was, fly? I'm sorry, I, w- I was told. I mean, it, you go into the uh, late fall, early winter, uh, they're, uh, the leaves are just all a, a pale white. Yeah, that to me, that's you know, that doesn't sound like white fly, but. If whatever you're going to spray, because it is an insect problem, which specific insect it is, spray the underside of the leaf. That's where these insect problems are, not on the top of the leaf. Okay, so the neem oil, you know, whatever it might be, should take care of the situation? Yes, but it may take a couple years to finally eradicate the problem. So, you know, just probably one application this year, maybe another application next year. Also, are you fertilizing? Yes. Okay, so you're using azalea food. Yes. Okay, so you're doing everything right when it comes to there. But uh, to me, that sounds like thrips, T-H-R-I-P-S. Take okay. A look, take a look at thrips because they scrape. What they have is a low chin, and they scrape the underside of the leaf of a lot of things. So to look online at thrips and see if this is what you've got. Yeah, I'm, fa- I'm familiar with thrips. Okay. Uh, what about the uh, the fire bushes? Uh, I had some uh, deterioration on the leaves last year, uh, early summer. Uh, they looked a little ragged. Right. Uh, neem oil, good yeah, or bad? Just watch out. You know, read the neem oil as far as when you're going to spray temperature wise and other things along that line. Let's back up. If I do the neem oil uh, before or after buds on the azaleas, uh, I would probably. Uh, I wouldn't do it too soon. I would probably wait till after they flower. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much. Yep. Appreciate it. Good luck with that. And now let's go to jump the river to Belleville and go to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hello. How are you? Good. Hey, I've got a question about uh, weed be gone. I kind of let my yard grow last year with Christelle Clover, but I'm kind of concerned about the bees and maybe butterflies. Do you think that really affects uh, honeybees and butterflies? Well, if you're getting rid of the clover, that's one of the things they like. But I don't think specifically, you know, I mean, you always have to be careful and conscious of anything that you put in the outdoors because it could have an impact. But for the most part, I don't think so. Okay. Any certain uh, plants you'd recommend for, like, monarchs, whether it be milkweed or? Yeah, you know, anything, pretty much anything that has clusters of small flowers is the best thing for, you know, butterflies. So that's why the milkweed is so good. So there's, you know, there's other plant materials, and I would probably, if you're trying to sort of induce them, you know, maybe get some annuals with some small flowers, like a, a sweet alyssum or something along that line. So clusters of small flowers is by far the best. Excellent. Thank you. Yep. And then if you want to have a, an annual-type vine, grape hyacinth is a type of vine that you can grow from seed every year. And the, their clusters are purple. But uh, they seem to attract not only the butterflies, but also the... How do you spell that? Grape hyacinth. 
I mean, not, not grape hyacinth. Hyacinth bean vine. H y c a c i t h i n a. Okay. Hyacinth bean vine. Okay. Is it too early for uh, cool weather vegetables? Uh, no. I can start. I can start my uh, uh, cool weather vegetables now. Lettuce, whatever. Right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. No, it's a good time to get them started. And uh, if we get a drastic in the ground, huh? yeah. yeah, if we get a drastically uh, cold night, you might have to put some burlap over the top of them, but that's about all. So, oh no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to have more cold <laughs> Right. <laughs> Bye now. All right. And now let's go to John. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your show. Sure. Really appreciate the information. I have uh, some periwinkle uh, around my house. Uh, it doesn't get a a lot of sun, but I need to put some mulch down. Can I cover that periwinkle with mulch? Will it will it survive? And if so, how much could I put? Two inches, four inches? Now, are we talking about the periwinkle that's an evergreen ground cover with blue flowers? Yes, sir. Yeah, don't bury it. So, uh, so okay. if you bury it, it could cause problems, just in general, fungus-wise and several other reasons. So uh-huh. maybe just kind of... You know, sprinkle a little bit here and there and use a broom and sweep it in between the individual, you know, plant. I don't want to say individual leaves so that it'll fall down in between, you know, the leaves and get onto the ground as opposed to like being on top of the foliage. I got you. Okay. That's what I need to know. Thanks so much for your help. Appreciate it. Certainly. And also, let's go now to Perryville and into Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth. Good morning, Mike. Uh, my bulbs are up couple of inches is it time to start feeding them yeah as soon as they're probably you know two inches high you can certainly start feeding them okay and i put preen down about three weeks ago would that have been too early uh could be because i mean there's not going to be too it just depends on how much rain we have and everything else if it gets diluted that's where the problem comes oh. in by putting it down too soon well there was a lot of rain after it <laughs> so I'm good. yeah so it may not have been, you know, maybe completely washed away. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And let's see. Jean, can you do it kind of quick? we got about a minute. Sure. Um, you talk about that sweet alyssum being the soft cedar. Is right. there any other little seeds you can recommend we can throw down? Uh, I would just, full, it depends upon your yard and everything else. I would just, if there's certain, you know, annual type plants that you like, I would mm-hmm. say just get a couple packs and see what happens. Okay, okay. I just wanted something once I've worked the ground and stuff just to be able to sprinkle it on top and see what it does. I've never had, I've never tried any of it before, so. <laughs> I mean, if you want to have some perennial type things, you know, the purple cone flowers and things like that, you know, they're, they're perennials, they're in the sunflower family, and they self-seed as well as come back from the root system. Okay, okay. Thanks for the great help and appreciate your show. Certainly. Thanks for Thank having you. me on your show. And thanks to everybody for calling in. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you're headed down to Mardi Gras, you know, to Soulard, just be careful, be conscious. It is a neighborhood where people live, and uh, don't get too wild. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.